You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Nolan is standing by. Hey, Wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Number two seed in your programs, number one in your hearts, ladies and gentlemen, the Buffalo Bills. That's right. The Buffalo Bills are the back-to-back-to-back-to-back AFC East champions after defeating the Miami Dolphins. 21 to 14 on Sunday night to clinch their fourth consecutive AFC East title. They're the two seed. They're going to face the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are the seventh seed on Sunday at one o'clock in Orchard Park, New York. The Bills finished the regular season winning their last five games. They won out from six and six to 11 and six and got the AFC East Championship at that time. A lot has happened in the last five weeks. A lot of narratives have come and gone. It almost feels like a different team, a different world, a different fan base ago. But we're going to talk about some things today. And I always say it's a short pod. I don't think this one's going to be because I have some things I want to talk about. I had some ideas that I thought were good. And I want to start with this. I'm not cheap, I said to someone while I was peddling my little under desk. You know, they have those little things that you put underneath a desk that you kind of pedal on to keep your legs active and to keep moving while you're doing work at a desk. I was on the phone with someone saying I'm not cheap while doing this. The funny thing about that is that I don't have a battery in that. That little device, that pedal device under my desk, I don't have a battery. The reason I don't have a battery is because I decided that the benefit that I was getting from having a battery, tracking things like time, potential calories, stuff like that, wasn't worth the cost of the battery. I would rather just not have to change the battery, not have to spend any money on batteries for this specific item. That's what I decided I wanted to do. Just keep it batteryless. Not powered on. I said, I'm not cheap. While I was doing that. While I was showing a very pure expression of Bruce being 
cheap. I can say whatever I want. And you can say whatever it is you want about me. But ultimately, the thing that determines whether or not I'm cheap is my actions. It's the actual thing that I do. And I, I'm being sarcastic, of course. I know that I'm cheap. I was playfully bantering, but I thought it was ironic. It doesn't matter what I say I am, and it doesn't matter what you say I am. It only matters what I actually am. Sean McDermott is not a conservative head coach. We have talked about this on this podcast before. He's not. You can do a a list of things that Sean McDermott is, the actual actions that he has taken. And if you just take the nameplate off, you're not going to think this is a conservative head coach. What we do is we conflate defensive originated with conservative. We associate offense with aggression and defense with conservatism. And that's not always the case. There may historically be a correlation, but that correlation does not matter once there is significant sample size of what someone actually is and not what the correlation thought they might have become based upon their class. A few weeks ago, I got on this podcast and outlined a very specific concern that I have with Sean McDermott. And that is in those very infrequent moments where it is absolutely crunch time. Everything's on the line. You're in the playoffs. You're in a must-win game. This absolute moment right there. He'd rather be aggressive on defense than aggressive on offense. He'd rather be aggressive with the defense than aggressive with Josh Allen. He'd prefer to put the ball in his own hands when the rubber meets the road. If you want something done right, you got to do it something yourself. He'd prefer to put it in his own hands versus putting it in Josh Allen's hands. And I said that that behavior, that mindset, might not be compatible with a franchise quarterback who's elite and one of the best at his position in the NFL. Because what's the point of having a player like that if you're not going to put the ball in his hands in those high leverage moments? When a play needed to be made against the Miami Dolphins, Sean McDermott... Put the ball in Josh Allen's hands twice. He went for it on fourth and short on his own 35 up by one score. If he doesn't get that, the Dolphins are in scoring range. In doing so, he sucked a mountain of time off of the clock and all of the Dolphins timeouts. Yes, in the end, he wasn't able to drain the entire thing. But when the Dolphins got the ball back after going for it again with Josh Allen and that time not getting it, when the Dolphins got the ball back, they had less than two minutes and no timeouts. They're rushing. They're making mistakes. They're not operating their normal offense. The reason they can't operate their normal offense is because Sean McDermott decided to go for it and suck all the timeouts and suck all the time off the clock. He said, no, if it's going to pull down to this, I think Josh Allen getting one yard, not my defense, stopping them for an entire drive. Even though his defense in the second half had been stellar. This isn't Sean McDermott playing the hot hand. This is him playing the franchise quarterback. He had every reason 
in that situation, in that game, to be justified standing up at the press conference and going, our defense was playing out of their mind right now. Within the construct of this game, right here, I punted the ball. I trusted my defense. Why wouldn't I? Look how well they were playing. They just happened to give up that drive at the end, and the Dolphins scored and tied it up. Went to overtime. We lost the toss. Maybe they returned the kickoff for a touchdown. That's it. Game over. He would have been justified from a game management standpoint. All the things that the people who don't want to utilize analytics say, like, well, it doesn't get the flow of the game, and how is it going? Right? He had everything lined up to be able to have an excuse to not put the ball in Josh Allen's hands, and he did it anyway. I would call that a meaningful response to at least my specific criticism. And I think my criticism was justified. And guess what? It's going to probably happen again in the playoffs. So we're going to get another crack at this. But that's encouraging. And if I'm going to rail against Sean McDermott for it, like I did, then I better doggone well be willing to acknowledge when he does the thing I was begging him to do, which is acknowledge you have a franchise quarterback and in those high leverage moments, lean into the quarterback. Even though Josh Allen had thrown a couple interceptions, even though he had fumbled the ball, even though the defense has been playing well, everything was perfectly lined up for Sean McDermott to have a perfect excuse to not put the ball in Josh Allen's hands, and he did anyway. So we can say whatever we want. We can call him conservative. But he's not. Consistently, on fourth down, he aligns with analytics go for or not go for situations. I'm not saying he's an overly aggressive coach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't classify him as conservative. In those big, huge moments, of which they are you know, less than a dozen, in his tenure, those are the moments I have a problem with. And now we have one of those moments that's really meaningful in a meaningful game for an AFC East championship. And he was rewarded for that move. So good for Sean McDermott. What we say he is doesn't really matter. The evidence indicates he's not a conservative head coach. He's defensive originated. That's not conservative. He's not. On the other side of the ball, Mike McDaniel was also faced with a fourth and short that he probably should have gone for. The exact same analytics models that indicated that Sean McDermott should have gone for it and did indicated that Mike McDaniel should have gone for it and didn't. Mike McDaniel is a big part of the reason why the Dolphins lost, and Sean McDermott is a big part of the reason why the Bills won. The more offensive-originated coach was more conservative. And the more defensive-originated coach was more aggressive in that game. Let's not be lazy. Let's not just assume that because he's not an offensive-minded coach, that he's by definition conservative. Because that hasn't been true in years. It was When he punted in the snow game and played for a tie in a situation where a tie knocks you out of the playoffs was a horrendous decision. Now, it worked out for him. 
but it was a terrible decision. He was faced with a very similar situation just now. Sean McDermott has evolved. We will see if that evolution continues if faced with that situation again. But let's just call something what it actually is based on the evidence and not based on what we want it to be. Why want to not be cheap? I'm sorry, Bruce. You're cheap. You decided not to put a battery in your little pedal thing underneath your desk because you didn't want to waste battery money. You're cheap. It's just the way it is. Sorry. What you say you are, what someone else says you are, doesn't matter. What you actually are matters. Kudos to Sean McDermott. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about Sean McDermott, gave him his flowers, as appropriate. Now I want to talk about criticism. Josh Allen criticism, Sean McDermott criticism. For some people, it goes like this. Josh Allen makes a boneheaded play or something, but also makes a bunch of great plays in a game. Josh Allen's him. Sean McDermott unnecessarily burns a timeout, but also does great things in a game while he's holding the team back. We don't keep our criticism uniform in terms of contributions. Josh Allen makes a boneheaded play. We forgive him because he made a bunch of great plays. But because the things that Sean McDermott does aren't as obvious on the field, if he makes that one boneheaded decision like, Challenging something he shouldn't challenge, which has happened this year. Burning a timeout he shouldn't burn, which happens frequently, I would say. It's one of my biggest problems with Sean McDermott is his timeout usage. The number one function of a timeout should be to stop the clock. And I only feel really comfortable using it for something else if you're saving yourself a meaningful negative play. Like a really meaningful negative play. Because otherwise, I want to have them available to stop the clock. If you are in a situation at the end of half or end of game where you realize you will not need them for that purpose, then yes, let's burn them. Let's burn them on defense at that point. We call setup timeout, right? You see the def- you see the offense align, then you call the timeout to make them call their next best play. That's fine if you know you're not going to need your timeouts 
to stop the clock. But as long as there is a possibility that you will need your timeouts to stop the clock, I want you to hold them. Because that's the most valuable usage of a timeout, is stopping the clock. Because it enables specific play calls on offense that you do not have if you don't have timeouts. And in those moments where you're trying to drive and you're in a situation where you would need timeouts, having the entire playbook available to you is an unbelievable advantage versus a team that in that same situation would not have it. So yeah, I have a problem with those things too. But he still makes that one mistake and Josh Allen makes the one mistake. But for some reason, because we see Josh Allen make all these other great plays, we excuse it and then we don't excuse it with Sean McDermott. We're not holding them to equal levels of criticism. We're not. And yes, Josh Allen missed the deep ball with the wide open Stephon Diggs. Yes, Josh Allen miscommunicated with Gabe Davis, red zone interception. Yes, Josh Allen fumbled the ball. Yes, he he shouldn't have fumbled the ball. Yeah, oh, well, Cyrus Torrance got beat. But if you're looking at the guy coming at you, it's your responsibility to hold on the ball. It's not like it's a strip sack where it's blindside. He had no idea. He saw the guy coming. It's basically like an open field tackle at that point. It's your job to protect the ball. So protect the ball. So yeah, Josh Allen did things that I wasn't pleased about. But as always with Josh Allen, do you remember if you're a longtime listener of this pod and the old Nick and Nolan show, there was a ratio I talked about that was always going to be important with Josh Allen. And sometimes I feel like we forget it, but we need to go back to it sometimes. It is the ratio of plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss versus plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make. This was slanted massively in Josh Allen's favor against the Miami Dolphins. That's the thing where we watch it and we go, that's special. When that ratio is so significantly slanted in Josh Allen's favor, the answer is he's special. When it's slanted away from Josh Allen's favor, then we say things like, sugar high Josh. But in this case, against the Miami Dolphins, yes, he made those plays. I wasn't happy about those plays. There were so many plays in that game that an average quarterback simply cannot do. He just cannot make those plays. Josh Allen is one of a few people on planet who can do those things. Not a lot of quarterbacks converting that third and 13 run. Maybe just Josh Allen. Jalen Hurts, probably. Really strong guy, lower body, could probably power himself through. But that's the ratio I have to keep coming back to. Even on the days when Josh Allen does those things that make you go, ugh. It's all about that ratio. If he does those things and then doesn't make a much greater number of amazing plays that help make up for it, well, then yeah, then we're annoyed at him. But that ratio has been in Josh Allen's favor time and time and time and time and time again. And most of this year, most of every year since 2020, it's been in his favor. The Jets game stands out this year as a game where that was not in his favor. You know, trying to jump over somebody five yards short of the first down marker against the Jets. Then you're like, what you, what's going on? That ratio was not in his favor in that game but it was against Miami. Plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss versus plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make. I was listening to somebody speak a couple months ago and they were delivering a speech and it was about injury, specifically about limping. 
And they made a point and I kind of made a note of it for later on. And it kind of popped up in my head as I was thinking about this podcast and what I wanted to talk about. And the title of today's podcast is Limping and Leaning for this reason. Everybody sustains an injury at some point. Everybody limps at some point. But what you have available to you to lean on determines whether or not you stay standing or you fall down. Right? If you sustain an injury and you have no crutches, you have no body to reach out to, you have no solid objects close to you, and you can't walk, you, well, you just fall down. That's the way it works. It's not about the injury. Everybody gets an injury. Everybody at some point gets an injury that's going to cause them to limp. It's not about the limping. It's about the leaning. What is it that you have to lean on? Against the Miami Dolphins, the following players stepped up and were available to lean on when the Bills were limping. Trent Sherfield, Dane Jackson, Deontay Hardy, Balen Spector, Ryan Vandemark. The fact that you can go into the game feeling very healthy and halfway through the game, you're feeling extremely unhealthy. That's a limp. You have been hampered by this stuff. Good thing you have something to lean on. Having a player like Dane Jackson to lean on is a good thing. Having Trent Sherfield ready to play, Balen Spector ready to play, Ryan Vandemark ready to play, the fact you have these people ready to play, to step up, to fill in the spots for people who are injured is a testament to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. And they both deserve their flowers. Because if the Bills were limping and they didn't have somebody to lean on, they may have fallen over. But they did. Deontay Hardy picked a heck of a time to show up big in the 2023 season. Punt return for touchdown. It's not about avoiding the limp. Everybody limps. It's about finding something to lean on when you're limping. Sean McDermott, when he absolutely had to have it, leaned on Josh Allen. And when the Buffalo Bills defense and left tackle and special teams needed something to lean on, players stepped up to be leaned on in those moments. And the fact that they were ready and competent is a testament to not just the person who put them on the roster, but the people who coached them on the roster. So take your flowers, Brandon Bean. Take your flowers, Sean McDermott. You had him ready to play. Sean McDermott has been concocting a really solid defense for a chunk of the year out of basically duct tape and bailing wire. They finally got healthy. They're like, yes, here we go. And then you go into the Miami Dolphins game and people start dropping like flies again. Ross Hill Douglas, gone. Tyrell Dodson, gone. You're like, come on, man. Seriously? The people you brought in to reinforce your depth are now going down. You brought in Rasul Douglas to replace Tredavious White, and now he goes down. Your replacement to your guy goes down. And they just kept right on chugging. I thought Balen Specter played well. He's your third string linebacker at that spot. They were available to be leaned on when the Bills were limping. Speaking of leaned on, Khalil Shakir as wide receiver two has come up a lot in the last couple of days. Here are my thoughts on Khalil Shakir as wide receiver two. 
the best salesman you have isn't necessarily the best sales manager you have. We don't assume that efficiency will maintain as volume increases because frequently it does not. People who are hyper-efficient in smaller sample sizes are very rarely that same level of hyper-efficient in larger sample sizes. It's just the way it works. Khalil Shakir has been one of the most efficient receivers in the entire NFL this year. I am interested in having him on the team next year. I'm interested in having him contribute, but I don't want to count on wide receiver two for Khalil Shakir. I will be very, very, very adamant to add at least one, probably two, receivers that I think can be top four options for this team in the 2023 offseason. Because you know I'm not going to be pounding the table to re-sign Gabe Davis if you've been listening to the show at all. If Khalil Shakir steps up, becomes wide receiver two, and those guys become wide receiver three and four, so be it. But I don't want to count on that. So I'm open to the possibility, but he's going to have to earn that. I'm not just going to assume that. Because we all know what assuming does. If you've ever been to fifth grade, you know what assuming does. The final QB stew of the season is upon us. 33 quarterbacks had 250 dropbacks or more, and as such qualified for QB stew. We are going to start from the bottom, and we're going to work our way up. For those of you who are uninitiated, QB stew is a metric composite that I created that takes the rankings of each quarterback in the following categories. QBR, passer rating, average net yards per attempt, EPA per play, DVOA, PFF grade, and completion percentage over expectation. And it takes the rankings of these and averages out the rankings. So you see how good a quarterback is in these holistic metrics relative to each other. It's kind of a composite way of looking at quarterback play, specifically efficiency at quarterback play. 33 is Zach Wilson. 32, Bryce Young. 31 is Mac Jones. 30 is Sam Howell. 29 is Desmond Ritter. Josh Dobbs is at 28. Aiden O'Connell is at 27. Kenny Pickett is at 26. Ryan Tannehill is at 25. 24 is Will Levis. 23 is Justin Fields. 22 is Gardner Minshew. 21 is Kyler Murray. 20 is Joe Burrow. 19 is Trevor Lawrence. 18 is Russell Wilson. Baker Mayfield is 17th. Derek Carr is 16th. Geno Smith is 15th. Justin Herbert is 14th. 13th is Matthew Stafford. 12, Jalen Hurts. 11th, Jake Browning. 10, C.J. Stroud. 9th, Patrick Mahomes. 8th, Jared Goff. Jordan Love is 7th. Kirk Cousins is 6th. Lamar Jackson is 5th. Josh Allen is 4th. Tua is 3rd. Dak Prescott is 2nd. And Brock Purdy is 1st. Now, if you've been following the show at all, you would know that QB Stew has successfully predicted quarterback MVPs every single year I have done it. I think this might be the year it doesn't. I think if you're looking at strictly efficiency, Brock Purdy deserves the MVP. He is number one in QBR, number one in passer rating, number one in average net yards per attempt, number one in EPA per play, number one in DVOA, number four in PFF grade, and number one in CPOE. He was one metric away, and three spots in that one metric, away from having a perfect QB stew score. His QB stew composite of 1.4 is actually better 
than other people who have won MVPs. Lamar Jackson, as you established, is fifth in QB stew. He is fourth in QBR, fourth in passer rating, fourth in average net yards per attempt, ninth in EPA per play, ninth in DVOA, third in PFF grade, and ninth in CPOE. But here's the thing. MVP voters think wins are a quarterback stat. And Lamar Jackson's team beat Brock Purdy's team fairly significantly when they played just a couple weeks ago. So if you're a voter and you have a wins bias, a bias toward wins or quarterback stat, and you have a recency bias, you're going to put Lamar Jackson over Brock Purdy. And that's what I think is going to happen. I think Lamar Jackson is going to win. If I was going to bet something, I would bet on Brock Purdy because I think if someone's going to upset him, it might be Brock Purdy. Also, right now, the odds are so significantly in Lamar Jackson's favor that if you bet $100, you get 50 cents. So that doesn't appeal to me at all. So I'll put a dollar on Brock Purdy and be happy if I get some money off that. But this might be the first year that it doesn't, which just makes sense. It's been a wacky year. If ever there was a year for a weird quarterback situation, this this is the one. I do not think Josh Allen's going to win MVP. I've said that for a month now. He was still elite this year. Josh Allen was third in QBR, 16th in passer rating, 11th in average net yards per attempt, third in EPA per play, fourth in DVOA, first in PFF grade, and second in CPOE. Why is he lower in NEA and passer rating? Interceptions. That's why. Interceptions. They affect those two metrics more than any of the other metrics on the list. I keep saying average net yards per attempt. It's adjusted net yards per attempt, but NEA it is. Those two metrics are more significantly impacted by interceptions. It makes complete sense. If you know the metrics as to why it is that Josh Allen would be 16th in passer rating and 11th in average net yard per attempt, but then be top five in everything else. Makes complete sense. But the interception count does drop this too. And quite frankly, there are voters who aren't going to care if he bombed the ball 30 yards down the field. It got an interception. It was probably better than most interceptions out there. Josh Allen hasn't thrown a pick six in a billion years because all of his interceptions are way down the field. It's the people who miss on the short out. Those are the balls that get taken back for six. It's the five yard out that you didn't put enough juice on and you left it high and inside and it got picked off and ran back for six. That's the reason why Josh Allen doesn't have pick sixes because he throws the ball way down the field and it gets picked off that way. If you're going to be boneheaded, at least be boneheaded 30 yards that direction. So no, I don't think he's going to be MVP. We can have a separate argument whether he should. But I've said for a month he wasn't going to be MVP. If I was going to bet anything, I would bet on Brock Purdy because it would be the most logical thing for me. But I truly believe that this will be the first year that QB Stu doesn't get it right. Because there is a wins bias and a recency bias. And specifically, There's a head-to-head recent game between Brock Purdy and Lamar Jackson. And for a lot of people, that's that's the tiebreaker. They're going to go, yeah, well, Brock Purdy was great. Lamar Jackson was great. But Lamar Jackson beat Brock Purdy. Not only do you think wins are quarterback stat, now you think quarterbacks play against each other. It's horrible logic. It's awful logic. I just want to scream at him. But 
They've proven that they think that way. You've heard this phrase used and uttered by writers or media members or people who have votes. So for me, I think Lamar Jackson is going to be the MVP. I think this is the year that Stu doesn't get it right. Evan sent me an email. He says, hey, remember the last time the Bills played in a wild card game in bad weather and the last time Pittsburgh came to Orchard Park? Well, this won't be that awesome. It'll be better once Josh Allen does a bunch of insanely dumb things. Bills go into the half tied 7-7 after two Josh Allen interceptions, but then will score 35 unanswered points to win 42-7. Josh throws five touchdowns. Diggs, Kincaid, Cook, Shakir, and David Edwards. Yes, that's right. Big man touchdown. Cook even manages to not drop a wide-open wheel route touchdown. You might question my math, but the first touchdown was a thick six by either Daquan Jones or Puna Ford. Yes, double-dipping on big man touchdowns. Bills will welcome Stroud and the Texans in the divisional with Miami having to go to Baltimore. Tampa Bay beats Philly, Dallas beats Green Bay, and L.A. upsets Detroit. That's what Evan says. Well, we got some plurality pie to deal for the Buffalo Bills victory over the Miami Dolphins. And this is your plurality pie. Josh Allen, 18%. Sean McDermott, 18%. Khalil Shakir, 9%. Stephon Diggs, 9%. He never left, folks. Dalton Kincaid, 9%. He's really good. Terrell Bernard, 9%. He's really good and probably the best story recently. Other, 28%. Recap, that's Josh Allen, 18%. Sean McDermott, 18%. Khalil Shakir, 9%. Stephon Diggs, 9%. Dalton Kincaid, 9%. Terrell Bernard, 9%. Other, 28%. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did the thing. We talked about limping and leaning. We talked about Sean McDermott putting the ball in Josh Allen's hands. We talked about criticism being fair. We talked about Mike McDaniel and his mistake. We talked about being cheap. We talked about the ratio. We talked about unsung heroes. Khalil Shakir's wide receiver two. QB stew. Emails. Plurality of pie. We did the whole thing. It's done. The next time I talk to you, the Buffalo Bills will have played the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hopefully defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll have a few more weeks of dealing out plurality pie. If not, well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. Buffalo Rumblings. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier 
Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.